0: prepare for road trips clones before your travels begin make sure you go to o'reilly auto parts simple preventative maintenance before you go will ensure that you have a safe journey o'reilly auto parts better parts better prices every day now i remember
1: in the spring training there were times when I, I heard something about me in an off season me and our front office butted heads and i had all the juice needed to go into the spring next year all right there's there's my motivation right there well then the following year what if we didn't have that and i I'm basically hoping someone insults my mother so I can get ready to play.
0: Clones, what's cracking? Welcome to another episode of the Jim Realm Podcast. I am absolutely hyped about this one. Not only is my guest a seven-time Major League All-Star, the 2005 AL batting champ, The 2006 All-Star Game MVP, a 2008 Gold Glover, a guy who retired with a lifetime batting average of 300, more than 1,000 runs batted in. He was just as well-liked and respected off the field as he was on it, having been named baseball's Marvin Miller Man of the Year twice. Just as it's no surprise that the Texas Rangers, the team that he spent most of his career with, recently retired his number 10. He does own more than a dozen team records. None of that surprises me, but let me be very transparent about this. I cannot lie. As great a baseball life as he has had, my favorite part of his career predates all of that, going back to when he was a legend, an icon at UC Santa Barbara. Yes, today's guest is a gaucho. Yes, I am a gaucho. In fact, all of us gauchos, when I say we are proud as hell of that affiliation, by now, you know I'm talking about former MLBer Michael Young. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long, long time. And it not only lived up to, but it smashed all of my expectations. Let's not waste any more time. Episode 95 starts right now with Michael Young. Michael, it is so great to get caught up with you. First, bring me up to date. You had such a tremendous career. You got to go out on your own terms. How is your post-playing career treating you? How are you living right about now?
1: Jimmy, first of all, man, thanks for having me, brother. Always great to talk to you, man. You too. Uh, I'm doing well, man. I mean, honestly, it's just, this is exactly kind of what I what I had hoped would be when I retired. Um, you know, my goal during my entire playing career was. Uh, I'm probably one of the few that I prefer to get out just a little early rather than a little bit late. Um, I wanted to uh, find a way to stay in the game, which I've been able to do here in the Rangers front office. But at the same time, it's just about, you know, maintaining, hanging out with the family, taking our family trips, uh, watching my sons grow up. Uh, My wife and I are having a great time right now, man, just really loving life.
0: Man, that's the best. That's the best. That's exactly what I meant when I said you were able to get out on your own terms because so few guys can. Now, in addition to that, Michael, you had your number 10 retired recently by the Rangers, and you joined Johnny Oates, Pudge Rodriguez, Nolan Ryan, and Adrian Beltre as the only members of that organization to be honored like that. What was it like to see your name alongside those all-time greats, and what was that night like? Oh
1: my goodness. Um, the night itself was unbelievable. Uh, the, the Rangers were, just did an incredible job. Everything from these, you know, video tributes to, uh, you know, Ron Washington coming in and surprising me. I uh, missed the game being a coach for the Braves and the Braves were gracious enough to let him uh, have the night off to, to surprise me and be there. Uh, he was a massive part of my career, a massive part of some really good teams here in Texas and it was great to have Wash there. but one of those things where it's really you have no idea what the emotions are gonna be up until up until it happens. You know, like you said, you look up all of a sudden they pull the little you know the sheet off of the sign and I see the names that I'm next to and uh by no stretch do I think that uh, you know, my careers are on par with some of these guys, but uh to have that kind of recognition from the team is is incredibly humbling. I'm I'm super appreciative and again, um it's one of those things even when I'm gonna walk in, in the future into that ballpark and see it, I, I I'm only gonna half believe it, I think.
0: You know it was so great to see Wash there, and not only that, as you point out, he had to take off a at night. He does not do that, but that speaks to how much you meant to him and mean to him. Take me back. Do you remember your first conversation with Ron Washington? What did he tell you?
1: I do, man. Uh, I remember he got the job. Uh, I was at my my off season home in California at the time, and uh, a lot of a lot of coaches or managers when they get the job or even executives, you know, the first thing they do is they get on the phone, they start calling players or they call um, you know people who they work with. Wash was getting on planes. He was going to see guys. So um, he went down to Dominican, he went to Puerto Rico, he went all over the country. He wanted to meet every single guy face-to-face uh, before we got to camp in Arizona. Came down to California, we went and had breakfast together, and I remember just like, the only thing that really struck me, it wasn't anything specific in terms of X's and O's, but it was just this real genuine love of baseball and of competition. And he just couldn't wait to get started. At the end of the day, that's what Wash is, man. He's, a, he's just a, he's all about baseball. He want he dude his baseball fire. And that's what he wants to be around. and um, You know, he was speaking my language, and I really couldn't get to work with the guy. And every single year that he was there, we just got better and better. Uh, I think that uh, a lot of our teams took on part of his his personality, Uh, had a lot of fun, but was also extremely competitive. Um, Just an unbelievable guy. You know, uh, as much as I I wish he was still here right now, we have an unbelievable manager in Chris Woodward. I'm I'm happy for the Braves that they get a chance to have the Ron Washington experience
0: you know, I love Woodward and I'm going to ask you about him in a minute. But again, when you run down those names like Pudge, Adrian Beltre, Johnny Oates, who was a great, great manager and a great player himself. And then of course you got Nolan Ryan. I mean, Michael, I've been around, I've interviewed thousands of athletes, coaches, GMs, owners, but very few. In fact, you can count on one hand with the presence, the charisma, the it man, the presence of Nolan Ryan. I mean, sure as a media guy, I'm kind of awed by the guy, but (laughs) what was it like for you to maybe have a pop or chop it up with Nolan Ryan?
1: Oh man, it was, um, it was incredible. No one had good stories. Um, He's exactly what you'd think he'd be, you know, just as, you know, that Texas draw, uh, kind of walks in this slow way, just commands the room, commands respect, and, uh, and, and gives it also. So it was always fun to talk to him. But, you know, you're absolutely right. No one has this, just this thing with baseball. Baseball fans all over the country love him. I remember, well, Randy Johnson, he was playing for the Giants at the time, and, and the Giants did something, I think, when he got his 300th win or something, some massive milestone, one of Randy's many. And they had something over at the stadium, I think it was the last year of Randy's career, and they had all these Hall of Fame pitchers show up to, you know, show Randy some respect. And sure enough, man, Nolan gets the loudest ovation wasn't even close. And Nolan and San Francisco are not, uh, and they're not really tied up too much together, you know what I mean? Right. But here are uh, the San Francisco Giant fans, and they, you know, Nolan Ryan comes out and they go bananas. So, it, again, it speaks to, uh, you know, Nolan cast kind of a wide net. You know, everyone knows who he is. Everyone loves what he did in his career, and, and everyone respects, it, respects
0: Yeah, and, what he's done. and you're right, and he seems, and he is exactly how he seems when so few people are. Now, Michael, if I told you when you left UC Santa Barbara and as a Southern California native, that you would not only play, but you would play and you would thrive in the state of Texas for virtually your entire career, what would you have said?
1: Oh, I'd said hell no. Not a shot, man. Right? right? Um, You know, when I first got traded here, I really didn't know what it meant. I was still in the minor leagues, and uh yeah, it was what you think it'd be. In the minor leagues, you know, you, you don't care what team, but it could be anyone of 30. I just want my quickest path in the big leagues. If it's in my hometown, great. If it's with the, uh, ideally, with the team that's winning, awesome. But I want my quickest path there, and I want to establish myself as quickly as possible. And I got that opportunity here. And even through my first couple years in the league, uh, I'm very open about the fact that, you know, I was, you know, playing every day and everything was going fine and you know in my mind I was looking forward to either going to go out east to play for one of those teams or head back head back uh, home out west and every day that I played here I started to like it more and more I started to you know really consider this place home you know I started you know talking to neighbors more I started to you know talk to, to uh, getting a little more involved in the community and my wife and I started to like it a little more and uh, next thing you know we, we had signed two five-year contracts and this place is still home for us
0: you know, I was going to say, so why, especially given how it started, I mean, why do you think that it turned out to be such an amazing fit, Texas for you and you for those fans and for that organization?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, some things, honestly, just the, the reasons aren't necessarily very tangible. You know, I, it just worked. It fit. Um, I think that uh, the fans showed me a lot of respect, which I certainly appreciate. And uh, my, my thank you to them was to get as, as involved in the community as I possibly could and from my wife and I to to do our part. Uh, which we have done and we still do. And that, to me, is something that I'd, I'd like to think I would have, would have done regardless of where I play, but um, it's about helping people who need help but also about, you know, giving a massive thank you to the people who have meant so much to me and my family. And that's exactly what's happened here in Texas. I, I never would have envisioned it, to your point, um, but here I am, and I'm loving it. I still have my house in California, which I've got to get to. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't leave California. I still love it so much, but uh, Texas has become home. And, uh, you know, I, got, I get to spend a lot of time in both spots.
0: I get that. I understand that. Just make sure you keep that house back here. Make Believe it. Make sure you it. just keep that house back here. Alright, so All you right. spend, if you play a decade and a half in the major leagues, you're going to have some amazing teammates, you're going to have some guys that are going to ultimately end up in the Hall of Fame. Like Josh Hamilton is an example. I bring him up because he won't end up in the Hall of Fame, per se, and he had a share of demons, he had a share of injuries, but have you ever played alongside a more pure, more talented physical prospect or athlete than Hamilton?
1: No. I have not. Um... That's a really good point, too, because at the end of the day, a lot of times people just remember guys who who are Hall of Famers, rightfully so. You know, these are the the, the very best of the very best. And the, But there are certain guys, it's almost like as time goes on, they're forgotten a little bit, even though they were just freaking phenomenal players. And Josh Hamilton fits that bill. I have never seen a more talented baseball player than Josh Hamilton. Um, I played with Alex Rodriguez. I played with Pudge Rodriguez. I played with Juan Gonzalez. I played with Adrian Beltre. Um, I played against some unbelievably great players, from Derek Jeter to Mike Trout. Actually, Mike Trout's a freak, so I'm, I'm going to take him out because he's, he's in the Josh category. Um, but Josh is just a – he was 6'4", 245. He was our strongest player, our fastest player, our most instinctive. And I, I just never seen anything like it before. He's one of those guys that you literally – he walks through the room, and even if you didn't know who he was, you'd be like, who's that guy? He's one of those guys. You know, it's almost like if you see Adrian Peterson in pads and a helmet, you're like, and you didn't know who he was. But like, who the hell is that? LeBron James would be something similar. Like, you know, if it, someone saw him in his basketball uniform, it's just, it is just stop traffic kind of presence. And you know, Josh made his presence felt on the baseball field pretty much every night. At least when he was with us, he did. I mean, it was just a uh, Just a freak show of a baseball player.
0: What an amazing response that was. And and to your point, I would say, like, I mean, it's one thing if a guy like that walks through a room of us, you know, normal civilian people, of course people are going to stop and stare. I think what you're saying to me is this guy can walk through any clubhouse or any locker room full of alphas, like the ultimate alpha males, and get that kind of response, right?
1: Hell hell yeah. Hell yeah. I remember when, when Adrian first came to us, and Adrian was just a phenomenal player, man. Just tough as nails, competitive as hell, loved to have fun, but just a great baseball player. And I think it was Josh's four homer game that he had in Baltimore. And me and Adrian were just sitting there talking. Adrian's like, I-, I can't even describe this guy. I don't even know. I don't even know what what we're seeing right now. Adrian's gonna be a slam dunk first ballot Hall of Famer, 3,000 hits, all these homers, vacuum at third, the whole deal. And he is just jaw dropped in awe of Josh. I mean. I really, really never seen anything like it before.
0: Amazing. See, you know, it's funny though when you mentioned all those guys, and again, I love that response. But when you mentioned all those guys, the one thing that just jumped right at me was Juan. Gon. Like Juan Gonzalez, man. That that is such an amazing player and name. What was he like to play with?
1: He was awesome, man. He was uh, one thing that people don't realize about jo- uh, about about Juan because uh, he was such a private guy. Hmm. He has a big teddy bear, man. He's just a real, real sweetheart of a dude. Um, But uh, he's one of those guys now that he's a little different. He would fit in today's game, but he also wouldn't in the sense that a lot of punchies, a ton of homers, so that kind of fits in today's game. But a guy on second with two outs, and if they, for some reason, didn't intentionally walk him, Juan became a different hitter. It's like, all right, you're shifting me. I'm hitting that single right there. I'm getting that run home. Like, he just became a different guy when it became time to knock in runs. And that's something that I don't necessarily see in today's game anymore um, but Juan was just, you know, and a two-time MVP kind of player because yes, he did have a ton of strength and could hit homers and uh, not, but just that ability, have that nose for the RBI. And people say well, uh, RBI might be an overrated stat. Fine, I understand all the reasons for that, but no matter what, when the guy's on second, he's got to come home. And when we had Juan Gonzalez up there, I mean, he just he kicked it in like three gears, and you could see it in his body language. Uh, and those kind of players are, honestly, they're kind of tough to come by nowadays.
0: I think that's awesome. He had that knack, man. He had that yeah. knack. And and how can it be an overrated stat, right, in RBI? Right. I mean, you, that's he had a way of doing it. Yep. So, Michael, like you, you've you been a special assistant to the GM. So the game, I mean, it's not, it's not been that long since you played, but the game has already changed dramatically since you played. When you look at the sort of information right now that's available to players and management and people like you, the analytics and all the intel, what do you think about that? Do you find that pretty intriguing?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think it's great for the game. I think it's great for the game. I think the people who say that you know, they prefer things to be old school, they're just not really diving into what it really is. It's, it, might, it might be something as simple as somebody approaching a pitcher saying, throw your slider more, throw your change up less. In sliders, you're doing this. With your change up, you're doing that. Keep it easy. It's, it's basically scattering reports that are on steroids. You know, they're giving guys opportunities and giving them clear information, clear data to go and make themselves better players. And during games, they do the same thing. They give the information to the manager to give, put his team in positions to go out and win, which as a player, as a fan, that's the goal. You want to see your club go out and win. So I think, it's, I think it's fantastic. I think it's on the players to go out and find ways to adjust, to beat those things, to find a way to, you know, once they adjust to you, you've got to punch back. It's the same in any sport. So I, I, I love it. I think it's great for the game. I think that if, if you want to shift and you want to give a player half the field, and he doesn't want to take advantage of half the field being open, that's on the guy hitting. That's not on anything else, and I think that's sports. I think that every team does whatever they can to create opportunities to win, and uh, I appreciate it. I think the more information, the better. Uh, and then the challenge becomes how to get it to your players in a productive way so they can go out there and make it, make it stand out on the field.
0: I'm so glad to hear you say that about the shift. I'm not in any way surprised that you said that about the shift, but I couldn't agree with you anymore. Right. You know, and you of course replaced Alex Rodriguez at shortstop, but not before you played three years with him with the Rangers. Man, what a wild ride it's been for this cat. What, what was okay. he like as a teammate and what was it like to share a clubhouse with him at that time?
1: Yeah, he was, you know, man, he, that was great. Um, I got there my first year in a big my first game in the big leagues and boom you know I'm I'm looking up at i I'm playing second base and Alex Rodriguez is a shortstop, I mean that's a that's a pretty special thing I mean he was by far, I mean if you take Barry Bonds out of the you know Barry Bonds at the time was he was Mike Trout of his of his era just a clear number one player in the game, uh, but Alex was just a, a phenomenal baseball player I think because of how big he was you know six three two twenty I think people lose sight of how good he was at shortstop at the time. Um, just a great defender, great all-around player, intense, uh, and he was great to me. He really did a good, he, he did a great job, took me under his wing. Uh, and one thing I loved about Alex, was uh, that he was a baseball junkie. All he wanted to talk about was baseball. We get on the plane, he's talking about baseball. We get on his plane, he's talking about baseball. It, it didn't matter. That's all he really wanted to talk about. And that was, again, that was right up my alley. I loved it. Um, but he was good. We, we've stayed in touch over the years. Um, you know, had Jennifer Lopez came in town the other day. My wife and I went. We hung out with the two of them. It was really, really cool. Um, Alex and I have stayed in touch. Again, like you said, it's been a super wild ride for Alex. Uh, but where he is now, where he at in his life, man, I'm, I'm really, really happy for him. Um, I'm glad we've stayed in touch. And, again, to, to your point, those first three years of my career um, were, were really great. Uh, in, in no small part, uh, to Alex's contribution.
0: Well, I think that speaks to the relationship you guys have, that he comes into town, he and Jennifer, and he looks for you guys. What was it like hanging out with them? What was that couple's date night like? It was cool,
1: man. It was cool. We just hung out a little bit after the show. Um, um, it, was nice. it was great to see Alex again. You know, I hadn't seen him uh, probably in about a, a year or two. Uh, so it was good to kind of you know, just get a chance to little rap a little bit, just chop things up. It was nice to see him. Uh, and she was very, very sweet. She was very cool. Super, super humble. Uh, she had just put on an unbelievable show, man, for three hours. She was, she was nonstop up there. And then all of a sudden she has to come in and talk to, talk to us. I'm sure she wanted to take a nap, but. She was very gracious, very cool, and uh, it, was, it was great to hang with all of them. You know,
0: Michael, you, you have a really critical eye for lots of things, not just baseball, and I know that I mean, you're a huge sports fan. I know you watch the way the world works. I know you watch social media. Like, when you look at Alex, he, he literally was a pariah. He was public enemy number one, and now he's rolling with J-Lo. He's an incredibly respected analyst. Man, he is back on top. What do you think when you see that, and how in the world was he able to reinvent himself the way he did?
1: Crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's – the guy got – I mean – he had a year long suspension, you know, playing while he's playing for the New York Yankees. Right. I mean and then all of a sudden he comes back and and, you know, he's he's happy right now, his daughters are happy, he's got a great job, he's he's all over the joint and doing commercials and uh good for him. You know, I think it's uh I think the one lesson I take from that is um, you know, your a lot of times your mistakes don't have to be your defining moments. They're just they're just mistakes and Uh, If you own up to them and you come clean and you and you give a genuine apology, and that's the key is a genuine apology. Because I think you know most of us can sniff out a a bogus one. Uh, If you give a genuine apology and you you want to move on, you want to make everything better. I think people are very receptive to that.
0: You nailed that, especially in this country. This is a very, very forgiving country, especially of celebrities and athletes. As long as you say you're sorry and you mean it, legitimately, people will forgive and they will forget. You know, you look back, Michael, the Rangers, you led them to -to back-to-back World Series appearances in 2010 and 2011, extremely heady times. What do you remember most about those days?
1: Oh man, it was, it was, it was really the best of times for me as a baseball player and it taught me a lot. Taught me a lot in my life too. You know, it's, um... for all of our, our great moments we go and have, uh, we lose twice in the World Series, one of them in really, really heartbreaking fashion and, um it kind of, it, it, again, it, it, it stinks for me as a baseball player, but at the same time, uh, as a ball player, I look back and I think about all the things that we accomplished and a lot of them were, you know, checking off things on my list of, and it was with that group of guys I was able to do it. Um just a re- really, really incredible time. It, it's as, a, as an athlete, when you're playing in team sports and you show up to the ballpark knowing you're going to win, and if you happen to lose, it's an accident, that's a pretty special feeling. And that's when you know you're in for, in for a pretty fun ride. And that's what we had here. And then, you know, we, we lose in, in the 2011 World Series, and obviously it's very heartbreaking, but it teaches you a lot of things, man. You, you get your heart broken a little bit, you, you get up, you move on, and you try and make things better, and you keep working hard, and you don't let your guard down. Uh, that's pretty much what sports is all about. Everyone's kind of had that point in their their sports career where you get your your heart broken a little bit, but there's always an opportunity to bounce back.
0: You know, I wonder about that. You answered that. I was going to ask you about that, and you answered that mostly, but just a quick follow-up, because you lost in one of the most crushing losses ever in Game 6 of the 2011 World Series when, of course, you were a strike away from winning it all, and then the cards come back and they force that Game 7, they close it out. Like, over the years... As an athlete, a super competitive, high-level athlete, how did you process that? For instance, are you haunted by it? Did you learn to live with it? Did you erase it from your hard drive altogether? How did you go about accessing that and approaching it?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think uh, learning to live with it is definitely the best way because I, I, I don't see how anyone could just uh, you know, take that out of their mental Rolodex. Uh, you just can uh... and there are times I think about it. You know, I think about, man, I, we've we've all talked about it. Like, what could we have done differently in that game to make the outcome been different? Um, obviously, that's just a recipe for a little more madness on our end. But um, you know, I think you just learn to live with it. You know, it's hey, man, like at the end of the day, like we put our best foot forward, we played really, really well. It didn't go our way, which sucks. But hey, man, like welcome to you know, you don't want to live with that kind of stuff. Don't play high level sports. This is what you got to deal with sometimes, and. That's kind of what, what, what I think. It's like, listen, uh, we were, we were high level athletes doing this thing at an incredibly high level. It didn't go our way, but we were there. We put ourselves in that spot by playing really well, by executing for a long period of time and give the Cardinals credit. You know, there was a World Series to win and they went out and they did it. And I'm sure if I was on that end, I would feel really, really happy with my effort level and how, how well we played to come back. So I give them a ton of credit. Um, you know, as a as a you know sports adversary, I have a lot of respect for what they accomplish. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't trade places with anybody. I love those guys. I love suiting up with them
0: know, yeah, it's a great response, and as a big-time sports fan like you are, as I've mentioned, Michael, it's kind of like that whole Super Bowl thing, right? Better to go, give it your best shot, and get beaten than not go at all, right? I've never understood that whole thing about, like, when you go to the Super Bowl and you lose, it's not like you're the second-best team in the NFL. It's like you're the worst team in the NFL when nothing could be further from the truth, better to go and take your shot and not have it work out than never go, right?
1: Believe it. That's absolutely true. You go, you take your best shot, you risk. You know, you risk some things. and That's you, you, you. put it. That's what putting it online means. You risk some level of like emotional emotional shots, right? You you risk loss, you risk uh, you know you know being the hero, being the goat. You don't know, but to put it on the line, say I'm willing to take that risk, that takes something. And I'd much rather be in a situation where I got to face those things head on and say, all right, I'm I'm all in. Let's go, put the foot on the gas, and let's play. That to me is a, a special feeling. You know, heading into a game seven of the World Series, I remember i was sitting in my locker, fully dressed up, ready to go out and do it. And I remember just smiling, thinking that there are not many guys who have had this opportunity. So, I'm not going to do a waste of my time thinking about what can go wrong. I'm going to go all out here, put everything on the line, and whoever wins, wins. Um, that's a pretty special feeling. I still, I still remember how I felt. And a lot of times, you know, in my day to day life, you know, if I need to, I kind of reach back for that moment and remember how I felt. And it kind of helps me in a day-to-day process.
0: You know, Michael, when you played, and I used to have you on the show, I always had a great appreciation for our conversations because of where you grew up and where you played your college ball, which I'll get to in a minute. But even a greater appreciation, believe it or not, right now, because I've had a couple of kids play travel ball in Southern California, and I've got a totally different feel for it right now. So let me ask you this. When you were coming up, were you always the guy on every level growing up? Or maybe was that not the case? And were you always battling and grinding to be the guy?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good, good question, man, because I see it, too. Um, I would say up until about 12, <laughs> like most other guys,
2: right? I was probably
1: the dude. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, right when, and I say this now, like, you don't really know to, to you know, my, my fellow parents, uh, you know, you don't really know what your kids got until they hit puberty. And sure enough, man, right when I hit 13, I was like, what the hell, man, that guy, was I was better than him, and now he's a foot taller than me, and I weighs him about 50 pounds, and he's way better than me. And that's really, for me, when the grind kind of started. I was a bit of a physical late bloomer. I didn't really start, you know. I was when I got to UCSB, I was still growing, so uh, I had to really. It, it really was. I think you hit that. Hit that. It was spot on. It was. It was. It was a grind. It was. Um, it was a fight. It was a. You know. A, a competitive challenge. All of it, and that's the fun part. That's the beauty of it. Uh, people talk about the journey all the time, but that for me is kind of where it all began. Is when, when I recognized that you know I wasn't as just better than everybody anymore, and yeah, now the only way to do that to really accomplish all my goals is to really go out and work for it and that's a pretty good feeling when you at the end of the day when you accomplish something you recognize the work that you put into it that's a pretty special feeling for anybody
0: you know i can still hear it in your voice i mean i can tell you still have that juice so like what kind of fuel were you running on for instance were you looking to prove people right or were you looking to prove people wrong
1: yeah man that's that's a great call for a while i always thought that i was trying to prove people wrong and a lot of times that's just basically just an answer to some negative response that was to me. So it's like, all right, I'm going to prove somebody wrong right now. I remember in the spring training, there were times when, you know, I, I heard something about me in an off season, me in our front office butted heads, and I had all the juice needed to go into the spring next year. All right, there, there's my motivation right there. Well, then the following year, what if we didn't have that? And I'm, I'm basically hoping someone insults my mother so I can get ready to play. You know, like right. that's, that's not the way to do it. I finally realized, man, there are a lot of people here who actually believe in me, who support me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my time now to prove them right, and I'm going to try and, um, they're the ones who have showed me a lot of belief, you know, a lot of love, and, and have you know, put their arm around me, and I'm going to try and prove them right, and that to me is just a, it's a better way to get motivated, right, it's a better way to live, it's a better way for me to kind of clear my head and, and go with just a, uh, you know, just a better way to think about things, and that's kind of the way I, I approach it, uh, especially when I got to the big leagues and I recognized, you know, there's little, there's, you can't really avoid a lot of negative stuff being thrown at you, and that's all right. That's all right because, you know, you're going to get praise thrown at you too, and I think a lot of times athletes, they want it both ways. They, they don't want the negative stuff thrown at them, but they want everybody to kiss their ass when it goes great, and that's just not the way things work.
0: Well, that's so interesting. Like, like, what do you think is more damaging to an athlete, either when you play it or even right now? What's more damaging, excessive praise or excessive criticism?
1: Yeah, good call. I would say excessive praise. Um, you know, I think a lot of times when you get, for athletes, when you get praise and you get money, especially when you get money, I think it basically gives them the opportunity to live the life that they've always wanted to have. You, you show your true colors at that point. This is the life that I always intended to have. Um, and now you have the opportunity to go get it. So now as someone else, like whether it's a fan, a teammate, a friend, you can sit back and watch their life unfold, man. This, this is what they always really wanted. It didn't just sneak up on them. This is what they always really wanted. And I try to, you know, having a good family life helps in that front. You know, I was, um, I was very, very fortunate. Um, but I, I, to, to answer your question, yes, I think excessive praise would be, the, be a, you know, the real dagger for any athlete.
0: Clones. What do we want when we're craving protein or need some energy? Not bars. Not sugary snacks. Definitely not energy drinks. No, we want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your father's jerky. In other words, not shriveled, dry, and tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender. It's tasty. It's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoke beef very seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein and comes in four great flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest that goes wherever you go. To the game, to the gym, to the beach, wherever. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag so you can see the quality that you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you don't see it, be sure to ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, where is your beef? You know, Michael, you're squared away and you've always had your priorities straight. Like we are both extremely proud members of the UC Santa Barbara gaucho family and I wanna be very real about this. I could not be happier that you played your college ball there and that the gauchos and the school mean as much to you as they do. Take me back. What was it like to live in Isla Vista and play for the gauchos?
1: Oh man, I see now we're now we're now we're getting to the fun stuff, Jimmy. I know it. Um you know, man, I, I think uh I try and talk to I live here in Texas now and I try and talk to people about UCSB, and they, they just don't get it. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. they're like, oh, okay, I, I understand the weather in California is great. I'm like, no, 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 no. The weather in Santa Barbara is even better than what you think it is. Well, you know, okay, there's a beach. I'm like, no, no, no you, you don't get it. And they're like, oh, I, I understand you wear shorts and flip-flops. I'm like, you don't get it, man. I'm like, it's just such a unique and special place um, for, 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 our, for our college kid, for a college student, and to spend some time there to grow up. It's it's a, again, it's um There's no place like it. There's no place like it. And I'm sure there's other schools out there that are fantastic, but they probably find a lot of similarities in other schools. There is no place like UCSB. I get the biggest kick out of them. People try and compare Pepperdine to UCSB. We're talking about two different places here, brother. So I I, I love my time there. It's one of those things that fortunately for me, uh, even though I loved it while I was there, it means even more to me now that I'm removed from it. I think that's a good thing. That's when you know you picked the right place to go to school. Michael,
0: we're all like that. We all feel that way. We all every last one of us would say the same thing. You know, it's funny when you say that nobody in Texas gets it. I mean, I understand that, but even to that point, like my wife Janet, she went to Long Beach Poly. So she's from the area, right? And for years, Michael, I would describe IV exactly the way you just described it. And Janet knows the weather because she's a Southern California native. But on and on, all these stories, Michael, it's this, it's that, it's this, it's that. I finally drove her up there one day. We drove through IV, and she was, like, incredulous. She's like, oh, my God, this is the place you've been talking about? It's disgusting. I'm like, oh. I'm like, what? She goes, this place is disgusting. I'm like, the ghetto by the sea? Come on, let's go to DP. Let's go to Sabado. Like, she literally could not believe that that was the place I described. And even as I drove her through, I still couldn't explain it to her. But you know what oh, I'm dude, talking about. I've
1: had the same experience. I've taken a couple of my buddies one time to the alumni game. like, they didn't even go to school there. They were just ball players. I'm like, hey, man, we're going to drive up there. And um, I'm like, we're going to go to Sam's after. We go to oh, yeah. Sam's and sit down. And, like, this place is a dump. I'm like, well, we're adults with kids, man. Imagine being here when you're 18 years old. I'm like, this is heaven. So, I mean, that's the beauty of it, man. I mean, it's, it's unique. It's special, you know. Like, uh, you drive, you're, you know, when we were young, we're sitting there. We're going from party to party, and there's a couch on fire, and we didn't even blink. We're like, yeah, like, that's about right. It's Tuesday.
0: I was going to say, it's Tuesday. <laughs> and if Mayor Dodd were at Sam's to go, this would not have been an issue, and they would understand. I'm glad yeah, you mentioned exactly. the couches. Hey, really quickly, so, like, I don't want to predate – I predate you, but Al Ferrer, you played for Bob Bronsma, who played for Al Ferrer. Al Ferrer really had it going when I was there. You mentioned the couches. Michael, the Hammerheads would literally, they would carry couches from DP, that's the the street that ran along the ocean and the the cliffs. They would carry the couches to the stadium and kegs (laughs) and ride the opposition unmercifully. The hammerheads is who these guys were. Did you ever get a taste of the hammerheads when you played?
1: I did. I did. I remember my first uh, my first game at UCSB as a freshman, I was playing right field and I was hitting like eight.
0: Right field. My very
1: first pitch I saw at UCSB I got domed. First pitch. (laughs) We're playing Santa Clara, first pitch heater off the ear hole. My helmet goes flying Bats everywhere. It's a frigging yard sale up there. So I put my helmet on go to first. We're all good. No big deal. No, no, no harm done. And I go to the outfield, and the Hammerheads are going ape. They're just going nuts. So they, I mean, they're like, they start chant. we chant, well, you're my new favorite player, it was all this stuff, because I got domed my first, my first A-B. Meanwhile, when every player for the other team comes up, they got the dope on these guys. I mean, I don't know where, I don't know where they find their inside info. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, the earliest the kid pissed his pants when he was in preschool. I mean, they knew everything. I mean, it was absolutely hilarious. And you know that it's getting funny when the only person not laughing on the other team is the kid who we are making fun of. Because everyone else on the, kid, the dude's team is laughing. Incredible. I mean, they were just, it was incredible where they got their stuff from.
0: These guys were so great. So I, I would see these guys, you know, like when I was living on Sabado and going to school there, I would run to these guys at house parties and frown parties and, and they were brilliant and they'd show up and they'd be ready to go at the game. Now, before you go, I got to ask you about our coach and notice, yeah. notice I said our, our coach okay. Andrew check it's man. Great, great coach. And the problem is Michael, everybody knows it because everybody tried to hire him in the off season. Luckily for us checks understands that bigger might not be better and he decided to stay as a former MLB guy and somebody who still works in the front office, what do you think of Chex as a baseball man and a leader?
1: Oh my goodness! I'm glad you brought that up, man. I mean, uh, Chex is just a fantastic person. I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, first of all, he and Bronx, um both came out for my number getting retired, which I completely appreciated. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And then uh, on Friday night, uh, it was the game was on Saturday night. Friday night, I had a little party at my house and. Chex hits me up and says, hey, you mind if I swing by? I'm like, yeah, sure, absolutely. He's like, ah, I got my son. I'm like, bring him. We got tons of family here. Kids are in the pool the whole thing. Chex didn't know anybody except for me and Christina, my wife Christina. And I had about 100 people here. By the time night was over, he had gotten to know pretty much everybody here. I mean, the guy is just, he's personable. He's easy to talk to. He's a people guy. He's a relationship builder. And I'm just honestly thrilled for our young kids out there that they get a chance to play for this guy. He has turned that program now into a power, and it really is the tip of the iceberg. This is Barely what the Gauchos are going to. Be. Barely, we're scratching the surface of what they're able to to accomplish. I mean, it is go- it is a truly, truly a sleeping giant of college baseball programs, and uh, I wouldn't say sleeping because we're awake now. But I mean, we're going to be so much, so much better because Andrew Checkets is the head coach. I'm I'm thrilled for him, and um, just an unbelievable guy. I'm, I'm super proud of him. Super happy for him.
0: Hey, Michael, one more thought about the Gauchos. I have to ask you, and you were teammates with one of my all-time favorite gaucho athletes, but he was only there for one year, freaking Barry Zito. Zito. What do you remember about Zito <laughs> as a gaucho? I remember uh, Zito was... Zito, Zito. Isn't that great? <laughs> Zito was a beauty. He was.
1: So my junior year was my last year there, and Barry was a freshman. He gets on campus, and he's all, by the time he gets there, he's already our best pitcher. I mean, Barry was just awesome. But I remember like when, when I was a junior, I'm not sure how I was when you were there, but it was basically just like like bike... I, mean, just, I didn't even lock my bike anywhere. My bike got ripped off. I'd take another one. I mean, it That's was just it. community bikes all over That's
0: the place. That's how it was when I was
1: there. Yeah. I remember one time Barry shows up at practice, and he, I think it was like he, got, he was all pissed off because someone stole his bike. <laughs> and he found his bike one day. He's going, to, he's going to class. I guess he's walking. He finds his bike, and he hides in a bush for this dude to show up. It's like six hours. I don't know if the guy's like a TA, if he's just working there or what. And he literally stayed there for six hours in a bush trying to find this guy to jack his bike. And the guy finally came out, and the classic Barry, like, shakes his hand, hugs him, and then he says, oh, by the way, that's my bike. I'm going to need that back.
0: <laughs> oh, dude, that is incredible. I was going to yeah. ask if he cold-cocked him, but he didn't. He just said, yeah, I'd like my bike back, please. Yeah, yeah,
1: classic Gaucho fashion. The- just gives him a handshake, a hug, probably invited him to a party. He's like, yeah, but, you know. All things being equal, I like my bike back. Please.
0: That is absolutely amazing. Listen, last, last I could do this all day, Michael. I can't say how much I appreciate this conversation. But last thing is, to SoCal, you're a diehard Laker fan, a diehard Laker fan. What was going through your mind when you saw not just Kawhi but Paul George sign with the Clippers?
1: Oh man, I was actually in, I was in Tahoe, just hanging out a little bit for Fourth of July right around there. Um, you know, as a Laker fan, Jimmy, like I was hoping Kawhi would come would come as a as a hoops fan. I'm glad he didn't, because uh, where the NBA is at right now, I, I think it's going to be fun. There's just so many teams, these power you know, twosomes right now. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And to be honest with you, man, as big as a Laker fan I am, I'm happy for the Clips. I'm happy for their fans. they got an owner right now who's dumping in a lot of cheese in that place. starting to get a new arena. And you're talking about the most you know, downtrodden franchise in like North American sports history. And now here they are, man. They're going to be a power. They're going to have, they have a, again, a great owner, two unbelievably great players to build around i'm happy for clippers i'm happy for their fans i mean i'm gonna love watching when the lakers and clippers go head-to-head that's gonna be a lot of fun to watch but i'm a laker purple and gold guy till the day i die just like the raiders um and you know being out here where it's you know cowboy mania but i'm still a raider fan it's kind of fun to do that kind of like really see if i can piss as many people off
0: as possible god dude what did you make of antonio brown with the raiders what were you thinking watching that whole thing play out
1: well, you know, it got to a point where it's like, you know, nothing is shocking anymore, right? I mean, even when they when they when they traded for the guy, fine, a third and a fifth rounder, but when they signed him, I was like, okay, you know, we're out of the woods now. But then, you know, you're watching Hard Knocks and you're reading stuff and the stuff online, and and right away, it's like there's no way that this was going to end well. Even when it's like, all right, you know, he's missed couple practices, his feet are jacked up. I'm like, this is, gonna, this is going south. There was no doubt in my mind that this was going to end up exactly like it did. And then once you know, once he got released. You know, a bunch of buddies in my eye texting each other. I'm like, oh, there's zero doubt he's going to the Patriots now. Right. So, we shall see, man. It's going to be a fun season.
0: Hey, Michael, last but, thought, you, you look amazing. Are you And you're a big, big MMA guy. Do you train mixed martial arts still? And when did you first get into the sport?
1: Uh, I got into it uh, when I was still playing, probably before my last year. I really started to – I actually started training um, – uh, my oldest son, I put him into martial arts pretty early, and then I started, you know, watching a couple of adult classes, and it was uh, anything from kickboxing, Muay Thai, to Jujitsu, and I was like, man, this just looks too good, so I <laughs> hopped in, uh, and uh, I loved. It. I fell in love with it. Um, you know, last year, last year I got my uh, Taekwondo and kickboxing black belt, and I still was doing Jujitsu and. Uh, the one thing about it, though, man, is that you do feel these uh, little bang-ups on your body. So right when I got my black belt, I kind of backed off a little bit. I've helped instruct a little bit, but um, I wouldn't say I'm as active as I used to be. But it was the perfect thing for me at the time when I retired because I wanted something competitive. And I really, really appreciate the sport. I appreciate the what those guys put into it. Their cardio levels are just legendary. So um, I love the sport. Uh, I love the guys who who approach it respectfully. I don't... You know, no one's gonna get me to watch a fight just because they're talking a little more trash. I wanna, I wanna watch a fight because of the, of the skill level of the guys. So, um, it's a hell of a sport, man. I really do love it.
0: I promise this is my last follow, but a black belt fascinates me. What was it like to get that thing around your waist?
1: It was awesome. It was awesome. What really one of my favorite days as, a, as a kind of a competitive athlete. I remember. Um, when I first got woke up that morning, I knew it was gonna be tough. Basically, what they do is you you have to go through all of your like you know testing, your forms and stuff, and then all of a sudden here's the sparring sessions. And basically, what they do is they 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 put you on minute and a half rounds. And I'm right in the middle, and there's about ten black belts just taking turns coming in. Um, and for our black belt test, there's no gear. The only thing we have is our cup on, so everything's pretty much on. And minute and a half, I stay in, and then they just rotate. So I get a fresh black belt every minute and a half. And then I uh, finished the first line. Then we went to jujitsu. I got back and hit the line again. Finished with jujitsu. By the time it was done, I was ready. to I mean, I was ready to throw up. I was done. <laughs> and, uh, and then you go to multiples. It's one versus two, one versus three, one versus four. By the time you get to four, you're basically just getting your ass kicked, and they want to see if you can take it. <laughs> wow. And then uh, we wrapped it up. Uh, I saw a couple of smiles on my instructors' faces. I knew at that point I got in there when they wrapped around my waist. Man, it really, really was a special feeling. It's, it's the one that not many guys have had. And when you're an adult, I think you can appreciate it a little more versus when you're, you know, when you're super young. When you're an adult, they really do put you through the grinder or make you earn it. And. It was a a special moment for me. It
0: really was. What a great, great story. Michael Young, we covered so much ground. Michael, I didn't mean to keep you that long, but that was such a blast, man. That was so much fun. I appreciate you so much. Such a valued member of the Gaucho family, and so great to have you on the pod, Michael. I really appreciate that.
1: appreciate you, Jim. Anytime, brother, man. It's great to be friends with you, man, and I wish you all the best, pal.
0: Michael freaking Young. Gaucho. Incredible. What an absolutely awesome conversation. Hey, clones, hit him up at MikeyY626. Let him know what you thought of that because that was outstanding. I could not be more pumped about that one. And while you're here, make sure you do the easiest and smartest thing that you will do all week long and hit the subscribe button so you do not miss another episode, especially with David Goggins coming up soon and especially with episode 100. Now just about a month out. As always, thank you so much for listening. I will catch you next Wednesday. Until then, here are your voicemails. First new message. Hey, Jim,
2: it's Wes of Wichita.
0: I'm loving watching this
2: uh, America's team uh, uh, play. They're uh, definitely not going to go all the way.
0: Message deleted. Next message.
2: I'll make a quick the Cleveland Browns sucking America's team. I just drizzled on them, threw them. Okay.
0: Message deleted. Next message.
2: This is Ken in Milwaukee. After seeing the Cleveland Browns go up in flames like they did yesterday, it only goes to show you how undisciplined, unorganized they are. No wonder Freddie Kitchen was selling used cars. That was like watching a used car salesman try to sell Ferraris. That didn't work, and it never will.
0: Message deleted. Next message.
2: Van Smack! Mike at the Hacker Dome. Been a while. After week one, buddy, it wasn't a pretty performance, but four things are true. Number one, the Bills deal is legit. Number two, Josh Allen is our guy. Number three, Adam Gates is a fucking goof. And number four! <laughs> I got a
0: Message saved. Next message.
2: Yo, Jim, this is Noah LaCrosse. I'm a diehard Packer fan. And after the huge freaking win, I've been driving around at my job listening to all these Mopey Chicago Bears fans talk to me about, oh, the only reason that you won is because Mitch Trubisky didn't play well. I don't want to hear it. Give our defense some bleeping credit. Kings of the North, go Pack-go.
0: Message saved. Next message.
2: I want to hear from a Steelers fan. How pissed off are you? Swickley, Latrobe, Dubois, Erie, Meadville. There's got to be a Steelers fan at Conway Yard on the banks of the Ohio River who is about to go batshit crazy. Steelers fan, this is not Steeler football. You look soft. You look intimidated. And Steelers fans, you do not look like you are ready for prime time. I want to hear from a Steelers fan in Cannonsburg. Mick Murray, I want to hear from a Steelers fan in Leesdale. Do you have a take, Squirrel Hill? I want to hear from Mark Madden. Somebody in Pittsburgh, wake this team up. Do you have a thought on this? Monongahela, Allegheny, react to me.
0: Message saved. You have no more messages.